0: Episode 763 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is 2020, January 2nd. In fact, and I'm your host, Paul Sport. today, covering a bunch of news. We actually have talked repeatedly about how active the hot stove has been, and it didn't take it didn't really take a Christmas break. Obviously, it's it's certainly simmered a bit, but we're still churning out news left and right. And it's been it's been fantastic to watch. So we're going to get into a bunch of that today. I'm covering it uh, by myself. I think. I don't know, actually, I haven't talked to Justin and my days get so messed up during the holidays, as as I'm sure y'all deal with, that I was about to say I think we're still gonna get one this week with the two of us forgetting that tomorrow's Friday. So no, this might be it. So I'm glad I decided to do this. Uh so you guys at least have one for the weekend and then uh and then we'll get back into the real swing of things starting next week. But uh, I'm gonna start with the White Sox, they've been very busy. All off season really, um, but very recently as well, where they've been making several moves, including today, Thursday the 2nd. So I'll get to that in a moment. I'll start with the Dallas Keuchel signing. They bring the 32-year-old lefty in to be the, probably the number two behind Giolito, I would think. I think Giolito, Keuchel, and then Reynaldo Lopez, Gio Gonzalez, and Dylan Cease can kind of finagle their way into a 3-4-5 however they see fit I think the overall uh, or at least projected talent of the three of them is not going to differ that much but I think Giolito is obviously the clear ace and Keuchel is the clear number two Keiko's had an interesting ride in free agency as we know his start he started his season late last year he had that uh, compensation pick hanging around his neck which I think definitely hurt him as he was trying to get signed. Eventually signed a one-year get-right deal with the with the Braves. Finished out the season there through 112 and two-thirds innings of ball. 375 ERA, 137 whip, a little bit high. 19% strikeout, 8% walk. You know, not great, and I think the FIP shows that, right? Uh, we try not to overly lean on, on any ERA indicators like FIP or Sierra, but you look at a 472 FIP. And even the 439 Sierra. Uh, and they're both saying that, you know, he probably was a bit favorable thanks to the defense uh, that he had behind him, Keichel did, in Atlanta to come out with a sub-4 ERA. Whereas last year, 2018, which I guess now I have to say last year is 2019. I'll I'll get used to that soon. But uh, I'll just start saying the year. I'll identify it but say, instead of saying this year, last year. Uh, 2018. He had the 374 ERA very similar but a 369 FIP which was nice. So, we know what he is for fantasy, right? When um, you know, coming into the season as he's going to this year as as somebody who's already signed, I think we can expect a lot of innings. That's always been something that's been well, let me take back always. Let me say that that's regularly been something that's been uh expected of him, but he hasn't he hasn't been devoid of injuries. In fact, 16 and 17 saw some injuries for Keiko, limiting him to 168 and 145 and two-thirds innings in those two years but then back to 204 in 2018 and then the 112 uh, and two-thirds this past year again on a uh, on a shortened season via the free agency not not injury so I think though that most projections are still going to put keichel down for quite a few innings as they should i would start at 180 if i if i were making a projection for keichel and kind of go from there and and i think he has a really good chance to hit 200 and i think even in you know this is something that nick and i talk a lot about because uh, we tend to differ a little bit on our league focus where i'm more of a 15 team mixer guy and he's more of a 12 team and those those three teams that depth of league definitely changes things because i think like 180 to 200 innings of a 410 era which we could tackle, is pretty good and i you know i'm i'm okay to roster that i think you probably get about if we get to the 200 innings i think we should get 150 strikeouts he's one of those guys that needs the volume uh to counteract his strikeout rate and don't don't sleep on that by the way because even if he's at the we'll say 18 to 20 percent range if he is getting the 200 innings Then that is less of an issue because you really only care unless you have an innings limit. If you have an innings cap, that completely changes things. But if you don't, then the volume of strikeouts is the bottom line volume, is what really matters. And Keiko can still give you about a buck fifty if he's throwing the 200 innings there. I think the whip will continue to be challenged. The last four years were at 129, 112, 131, 137. And the year that it was 112. It was a 256 Babip and a 217 average allowed. So those were both tough. Uh, or, or both excellent, I should say. Tough to repeat is what I meant to say. So put him down, put Keiko down for a 410, 130 in 200 innings. And that's fine, right? I think he. We always talk about matching up your your guys, uh, your your rotation pieces. If you're going for a lot of gambles, uh, you're you're more on the risky side, and you're like a you know you're a big Lazardo guy, and uh, maybe you're taking Flaherty as the ace, and you want to get in on. Um, I don't mean to only mention Oakland A's, but you want to get in on like AJ Puck too. Even if you're getting in on teammate Lucas Gilino, you know, who's only done it for one year, so there's definitely some risk there. Let's say the front end of your rotation is is good but risk laden. Like there are easy scenarios to envision where things don't quite go right. I think a stabilizer like Keiko works well. However, if the front of your rotation is more bankable innings, you know, with um say Verlander leading the charge. Corbin and I don't know, like a uh, like a Madison Bumgarner, then you don't really need Keiko. I think where where is being drafted, you would go elsewhere and and go for the the higher upside, bigger gamble type. Just some of the names that he's going around that would fit that are like Sandy Alcantara, Adrian Hauser, even my boy Garrett Richards, Forrest Whitley, Aaron Savale. So I think the the front end of your rotation is going to dictate that. He's the 107th pitcher off the board, Keuchel is. Again, that's NFBC, so that includes relievers. Probably about the 80th starter, thereabouts. Um, So he's he's a later pick. He's not going to shoot up in in cost. I think he'll be overlooked because he's, he's seen as old. 32, he's not really old. The strikeout rate is bad. And and the ERA is a bit tenuous, even though it's been sub four for those three years, has been much higher. Because even the year when he had the 290 in 2017, it was a 379 fit. Then 374, 369 was right on line in 2018, and then last year's like I said, 375, 472. So that's Dallas Keuchel. I think it's a good move for them. It's a better move for the White Sox than it is from like a fantasy angle. Um, but I think that that's a good move there. They also. Really suggested that uh, they could have a trade in the in the offing here with James McCann because they signed Edwin Encarnacion to be their DH. And, you know, once they signed Grandal, it was kind of like, hmm, are they going to get rid of James McCann? Is he going to be a DH? Uh, especially once they had a Brayu back, too. I think it was Grandal before. I think the qualifying offer was accepted first. Because I was going to say, you know, Grandall could play first on some of those days. But no, I think Abreu was already locked. So they get Grandall, and it's like, well, then Grandall is, you know, the full time starter. He's going to get one day off a week. And even though James McCann's 2019 was babip infused, you know, to the highest degree, I mean, he had a freaking 359 that drove his numbers. He's probably still better than a once a week guy. Um, I think at the very least, you want him in like a, uh, the 40% end of a 60-40 share. But if it's once a week, I mean, that, that should be to somebody who you don't really have a lot of expectation of. You don't really see as much of, of a huge impact type of guy. I think Zach Collins can handle that while also maybe getting in the occasional. Uh, I don't even think Zach Collins is seen as like a, a great backstop think he was always looking to move so uh but for an himself we're coming off another season of he just kind of got the job done now the batting average was still poor 244 after last year's 246 2018's 246 i should say but you know another 34 homers and that was only in 109 games 344 obp so he's better in those leagues the uh Slugging was up on a four-year high to 531. All, all in all, it was a 129 WRC plus. That's damn good. He's going to be 37, but the reason I always loved Encarnacion to age well was because he carried a brilliant strikeout rate into his 30s. Um, even at age 32, it was 16 percent with a 12 percent walk rate. Then it jumped up in 2016 to 20%. Even that's still good for a raw power hitter uh, with a 12% walk. So, even these past four years where he's been at 20% or higher, it's still been very manageable compared to what you normally get out of these heavy, heavy power guys. And that's going to help his batting average. So, 20, 20, 23, and 21% uh, percent strikeout rates for Ern they're allowing him to stay in the uh, in the 245. Well, I guess this this past year was 244. So we'll call it 240 to 260 range, which is a lot more uh, you know palatable than somebody who's hitting 220. Then those 30 homers are harder to take on. So even at age 37, I know he's going to get the uh, the old man discount. I think I'm open to taking it on Encarnacion because. I feel like it's a reasonable bet that we're going to get yet another 30 homers. I want to say that he is still uh, first base eligible. I'm checking that right now. And while he's not going to play first base for them, that's actually a benefit to to maintaining his health. Um, There is a little, you know, there's the DH penalty. uh, uh, It's an observed 10% penalty for playing DH. Uh because you know coming off the bench cold every time you bad there's just something it's just been something that's been studied that says when you're in the flow of the game and playing and and you know I guess keeping your muscles hot or whatever you hit better. Then when you're DH, uh, it's it's a normal 10% penalty. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed, but apply that to Encarnacion and and work from there. And yes, he does have first base still. He had 57 games there, so he qualifies with ease. So you don't even have to lock up your UT spot. Let me see what he's done as DH in the in the recent years here, while also looking up his ADP. I'll give you his ADP first. It's gonna be 212 for Encarnacion, um, and the other first baseman around him are Christian Walker. Yandy Diaz just above, and then Eric Hosmer and Michael Chavis just below. And I like him above all four of those guys. So once pick 200 comes around, I'm ready to go with Inconarcion. And I could even see a scenario where maybe I take him a little bit higher. Now, I will say at 193, there's my boy Luke Voigt. So you know that I'm not taking. Uh, Encarnacion above Luke Voigt. I love Luke Voigt. So Encarnacion. But, um, you know, I I don't mind his price at all. Still first base eligible. And like I said, I wanted to take a look here at how he's been as a DH just in the the recent years. I mean, I can give you his his career totals, but that might be a little bit... uh, you know, inflated by previous work. I'll tell you that he has a two sixty eight, three sixty five, five eighteen line, which is fantastic. That's an eight eighty two OPS as a DH for Encarnacion over his career. That's thirty one hundred and seven plate appearances over the last three years: eight seventy three, eight twenty one, and then this year nine twenty nine in two hundred thirty six plate appearances. That's the smallest sample of the three. The other the other two were four eighty four in twenty eighteen and five sixty nine, which is nice in twenty seventeen. Um, the absolute worst he's ever been as a DH though was back in 2014, and it was a 7.94. So the penalty doesn't seem to get Enkanarcione. I'm very happy to roster him. Give me the old man discount all day. Good park. The lineup continues to get stronger and stronger, especially with the next move I'm going to talk about. You've got Moncada, Anderson, Abreu, Grandal getting on base in front of him, and then Menez. No more Mazzara and the next guy to kind of clean him up and push him in for some runs. I like it. I'm here for it. Then the last move they did was was an in-house move, but it completely changes the landscape of their outfield from day one. It's when they announced this just today on the second, a five-year deal for Luis Robert. And it is indeed Robert. We've had the Robert-Robert debate. I believe there's video of Robert himself saying that. So that's what I'm going off of until I hear otherwise. If you you know something different, you have proof, tell me. Otherwise, it's Luis Robert. Uh, But yeah, he's going to get a five-year deal, which is, pardon me, six-year deal with 50 mil guaranteed and two club options. Max value he could get is 88 mil over eight years. And I hate to make this about someone else real quick, but it really does just further show... Just how shitty the Ozzy Albies deal is, man. And look, I know that he's never going hungry, and he's got you know more money than than he, he maybe could have ever dreamed. You know, I I don't know. I don't know if he grew up poor or not. I don't want to uh, project that onto everybody who comes from uh, you know the Caribbean or or South America. He's from uh, Curacao. Al- Albies is. Again, I don't know if he grew up poor, but he got seven years and 35 mil with two $7 million options for ages 29 and 30, which he would have to be so freaking bad for those to not get picked up that you might as well count those two. So it's going to be nine years and uh, 49 mil, which again, nobody's you know crying for anybody that gets 49 mil but he had done something in the majors when he signed this he signed this this past year when he was already an all-star uh back in 2018 and had you know 900 plate appearances a thousand plate appearances of strong work under his belt the hell was his agent doing dude it's so bad it's so so bad but anyway, I don't want to take away from Robert. Congratulations to him. That's awesome. I love seeing these guys get these deals when they deserve it, when they, you know, get them up. No funny business of service time manipulation. Get him up from day 1. Let's see what he can do. It's not the same as like pitchers where you're wasting like yeah, you know, wasting bullets, so to speak. Uh, high double and triple A Let's let's see what he's got, man. He put up a 328, 376, 624 slash line with 32 homers and 36 steals in 551 plate appearances. And he did get um, a little bit worse as he moved up, although it was only so double A. He killed it for 84 plate appearances. They're like, okay, you definitely belong higher than this. He went from 14.32 OPS into double A, where he had a perfectly capable 880. In 244 plate appearances so then robert goes to triple a and posts the 974 so the competition got harder and he got better he needs to sh- be able to show what he can do at the major league level and he's going to be able to show that in center field from day one and this is only only going to push his price up it was already pretty high so i'll tell you what this is going to be crazy and I'm worried as somebody who's interested in him that I might get priced out because I do want I do want to get him. I really do, but I, I don't want to be stupid about it. I, I don't want to overpay and and get too wild with somebody who is very good but not you know a 100 complete complete uh, player at, at age 22. He still has a strikeout. Uh, you know a strikeout issue he's kind of in that mid-20s in the minors he only walks five percent of the time if the walk rate stays the same or gets worse and the strikeout rate goes up which is normally what you would expect in the majors you could be looking at something like a you know 28 to 30 percent mark with a three to five percent walk rate that puts a lot of pressure on him to do well the times that he is making contact and that can lead to massive volatility Robert is already the 107th player off the board with a high of 78 and a low of 141. You can kiss that low goodbye. That is not happening. He's going to continue to inch upward, and I got to imagine that he's going to be firmly in the top 100 now, and perhaps even in the top 75 by the time um, by the time we get to draft season. So, you know, if that puts it, let's let's say 75, and let's look at the top let's look at the 70 through 75 there and that's tommy fam actually let's look at the the five hitters who would be around there. teammate Yo moncada matt Olson, tommy fam max muncie and bo bichette and those guys are going uh 66 67 70 74 and 75 respectively so you look at moncada and that's not a bad you know easy comparison right off the top to to discuss those two in a similar vein in fact robert might be a better base dealer right away although it's not like moncada lacks speed he was 10 for 13 last year i feel like he could have done more simply if he wanted to and i don't know if it's something that the white Sox limit and if they'll limit it with robert or a choice by moncada i don't know but it is interesting that he would end up around Moncada, Fam, and Bichette because the expectation for Robert right off the rip would be that he would be a, a player like that. And I think Fam is probably the easiest uh, guy to look at here because outfield to outfield. Now, where Fam definitely has him crushed is that he doesn't strike out nearly as much, and he walks like 3x almost. Not quite, but... Um, unless if robert doesn't hold his five percent if he does dip down a little bit in the majors then it will be it will be um you know three to five x that uh that fam's able to do i mean fam lives in the in the 12 to 14 percent range and we're talking maybe three to five percent with with robert and after you know okay i I will say this fam did strike out a bit uh the last two seasons 25 and 22 but then this year was down to 19 percent. so either way his plate skills are much better than robert's and that's going to give him the leg up there but the the power speed combo is is why the comparison would work pretty well between those two our scouting report on robert on the, on his player profile has him as current these are current uh 40 hit 45 uh, 55 excuse me <laughs> i can read numbers hit is 40 current 50 future game power 30 current 55 future raw power is 65 current and future speed is 60 60 field is 50 60 and throw is 60 60 so he should be a strong center field asset with plenty of speed plenty of fielding ability he's got raw power that he can add to his game that could really make him a 20 a, a something homer threat he hit 30 in the minors last year and then that speed can take him as far as I think the the White Sox will allow him. Robert does strike me as one of those guys like an Alberto Mondesi, where even if his OBP is challenged, if he's given the green light, I think he can still be a speed asset. So he's going to go really high. If you're not comfortable paying top 75, I get it, but you better get your mind around it if you... Are, are planning on getting a lot of Luis Robert shares coming into the year because that's that's where he's going to be. I really do believe that. Of the guys I mentioned, I would take Moncada ahead of him. I would t- I would take all five. I would take Moncada, Olsen, Fam, Muncy, and Bichette ahead of him. Right after that, it's Gallo, Abreu, Soler, Semyon. I think I'm still taking all of them. Then Loriano is an interesting battle. I love Loriano, You guys know that think I would take Laureano so I think what I'm learning quickly here is my dreams of of Luis Robert shares which I was willing to pay the uh the you know 100 to 110 range that he was more consistently going at with the boost that he's certain to get again this isn't even I mean I guess it's speculation until we see it happen but I it's a guarantee like I'm putting a stamp of guarantee on that his price is going up so it's not going to be fantasy teams. So that's the White Sox. They've got Keuchel and Canarcion and now Luis Roberts signed. They've been making big moves. Speaking of a team that's been making moves, now not I wouldn't say necessarily big, and they don't have the, uh, the hopes in store for 2020 as the White Sox, but the Miami Marlins have quietly had a really solid offseason, man. They're committed to not having just an embarrassingly bad team. They went 57 and 105 last year, and they'll probably still be a bottom feeder in that division. But do they, you know, do they have to be uh that terrible? I don't I don't think so. I think they're a team that could maybe even start to push with their pitching that they already had in place and the hitting that they've added, maybe a little growth from a few other players, you could see a a push for 70 wins. Now nobody's doing backflips over going uh 70 and 92. But that'd be a big improvement for a team that just won 57 games. Their recent signing is Corey Dickerson. And I love and hate this move at the same time. i tell you why. I love it because I like Corey Dickerson a lot. He's an awesome player. I think uh, if he could stay healthy, he'd, he'd, he'd be a more widely regarded player. Because when he plays, he's, he's really good. Um, virtually all the time. And that this is even without Coors Field, where he hasn't been since twenty fifteen. So this is a, just another bat that left Coors and did not fall apart. Because if you're good, you're good. That's I mean I can't believe some people still think that um, you know these top of the scale players like Nolan Arenado is oh well, what would he do out of Coors? He would still be amazing. You're stupid. Um, but Corey Dickerson has been a really strong player, even as as he's bounced around from the Rays to the Pirates to the i believe the phillies last year and now he'll be on the marlins the marlins have moved their fence in and like i said he was just with the pirates a couple years ago well in fact last year for 44 games and then the full season in 2018 and he performed well there and they have a, a spacious ballpark so i don't think he's going to fall apart in miami just uh, just due to the park being a bit bigger because it will be uh so they sign him now why do i hate this deal And I put hate in quotes. I don't don't hate it. But one of the bummers of it is that it compromises the playing time of somebody I really like. Well, two guys I I really like. Garrett Cooper was already compromised by Jesus Aguilar uh, showing up even uh, for first base. So then maybe, okay, he could steal some at-bats in the outfield. Garrett Cooper could. Now this is another corner outfielder who's going to definitely start above him. Dickerson goes above Cooper for sure. But more importantly, and perhaps uh, a bigger bummer, because I see I see some more growth there, is Harold Ramirez is now going to be pushed to the bench, and that's a bummer. Because well, th- that could be short lived though, but the initial outfield is likely to be Dickerson, Luis Brinson, and Brian Anderson, and I, I I don't know for certain, but I think they still want to try to see if they can. If they can get something out of Brinson and and you know turn him into something that is prospect pedigree portended, or if this is just it, that would then open the door back up. Uh, if it if it starts off horribly again, and, and Luke Brinson was one of the absolute worst players in baseball last year, two hundred forty eight plate appearances, small sample, sure, but just god awful one seventy three. 236 221 it was a 25 wrc plus in fact he now has 709 plate appearances in the majors of a 43 wrc plus and you know he's, he's he has his issues and i have to be honest just to sprinkle a little bit of cold water on it as far as brinson goes i don't think it's fully out of bounds to Bring up his name when you're talking about Luis Robert, as far as like how it could go wrong, because you look at the the profile, the uh, the scouting report, very similar in terms of the hit tool, power, speed, field, throw, future value sixty, um, and then he's come up to the majors and he's been a thirty percent strikeout, five percent walk, which is exactly what I worried about for Robert. So I'm just saying, if you're looking for uh, how does this go wrong that w- that would be the worst worst case scenario of course but anyway i think brinson's at least going to get the opening shot at f- at center field unfortunately um and and push ramirez into more of a part time role so i really don't think you can take him in anything but deep leagues and only maybe uh not maybe definitely some late uh late picks reserve picks and 15 team mixers but just have your expectations tempered now he did start 19 games and played 27 total in uh in center field last year so he he can hold the position i think he's better in a corner harold ramirez is but if brinson's that bad then you take a defensive hit to get the markedly better bat in ramirez and uh, ramirez had a nice little debut last year 446 plate appearances 276, 312, 416. You definitely want to see that OBP go up a bit and a 4% walk rate uh, held it down. He's never been much of a walker, but he's been a better contact guy than the 20% strikeout rate that he had in the majors. So if he can shave that back down to the mid-low teens, I think that could offer some batting average upside there. We'll see if the power can develop as Ramirez ages. He's going to be 25 next year, so he's not one of these super young prospects. So I'm not sure that there's a ton of projection to um to put on to him but i do think there's some and i and i am intrigued by harold ramirez this was a little bit of a bummer to see dickerson come in and uh and push him into uh, a reserve spot at least to start the year assuming they go with brinson which i believe they will and give him the initial opportunity but now you look up and down that lineup and it's not hard to envision it not being a total rollover jonathan vr miguel rojas brian anderson jesus aguilar Corey Dickerson, Jorge Alfaro, Ice Sprinson. They need some of these prospects to start, you know, paying dividends. Maybe uh, some more growth from Alfaro, perhaps. Although he was, he was pretty solid last year himself. Actually, he's been uh, he was the exact same as he was in eighteen. He was ninety five WRC plus. For some reason, I thought he eclipsed one hundred. He's a guy who lives off of Babbitt because he has a thirty three percent strikeout rate and five percent walk. That's after thirty seven and five percent. In 2018. So um, until he cuts that strikeout rate, this is about the max that you can expect. But I think Ison Diaz, Luis Brinson, they need to start pulling their weight. Um, But I do like the reserves here if those guys fail. You start to get John Birdie, Garrett Cooper, Harold Ramirez into the mix, and then you can see some things happen there. Um so I'm keeping an eye on some of the Marlins. I I don't want to overstock on players on bad teams cuz they're still going to be a bad team even if they some they did somehow surge into the 70 wins I was talking about. That's still bad and that's still almost certainly going to be the uh the last place ball club in that in that very difficult division. It'll just be less of a uh Less of a clown show out there where they, you know, they can't win to save their lives. So I'm, I'm interested in in a good handful of players on the Marlins after coming into last year, and I couldn't have cared less about uh, virtually anybody on the team, save maybe a pitcher here and there. Next up, let's talk about Cincinnati, who's also had a, a very very. I would kind of put them as a White Sox analog, where they're having the kind of off season that says, "Hey, we're positioning ourselves to be something." interesting this year with some playoff contention capability they sign shogi akiyama bring him over from uh the japan league and he comes over without a posting fee he had been around long enough he's going into his age 32 season that he didn't need to be posted he comes over as just a traditional free agent And he comes over on the heels of five really strong seasons. 941, 807, 943, 937, and 864 OPSs in those five years. 143 games in all five of those seasons. I'm guessing that that's how many games they play because it'd be weird if he played exactly that many each of the five years. And, you know, they had a much higher uh, games played count. But let me see here. Take a look at their win-loss. Oh, wait. Because they're listed as 80 and 62. But then... Their games... Their total games... Says 143. Alright. Call or me confused. But I think 143 is how many games they play. And... For some reason... They did not. What the hell? I think some of the data gets lost on these win-loss records because I'm looking at another team. Uh, Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks, they have 138 games. Like, what? Uh, Rakuten, Golden Eagles, 139. Okay, cool. So I don't know. But then I go look at the the, the team standings or the, the team stats, and all the games are listed as 143. So anyway, he's played full seasons in each of the last five years. Durability, nice piece for shogakiyama Uh nice little power speed combo steals each of the last four years. Five years, excuse me. Decent batting average. His defense is definitely fading a bit in center as he gets older, you know, he's going into his age 32 season, but he's still a very capable de- defender in center. He can still hold the position. First comp I ever heard, which as I'm looking at his stats more uh, strikes me as a little odd that I heard this one, but I will I will repeat it. It was uh Nori Aoki, but a better center fielder. Whereas Aoki was was more challenged in center and could hold the corners better. Uh Akiyama can can hang in center much better. However, I think he's shown a lot more power co- coming over than uh, than Aoki did. Yeah, I'm looking at the seasons before Aoki came over, and it was, it was 20, 14, 16, 14, and then four homers. Akiyama has 14, 11, 25, 24, 20. So he's been over 20 each of the last three years. So maybe it's like we'll just, if we want to just, you know, without all the qualifiers, we could just say Aoki 2.0. And too often when I hear 2.0, people are meaning it to just mean the same, which isn't what 2.0 means. 2.0 is a better, improved version of something. So if you're saying whatever player 2.0, there are improvements there. So we'll say Ioki 2.0 with better center field defense and more power. And then I think we get to a, a reasonable snapshot comparison. I'll also take a look at uh, Craig Edwards' article here. And I think he makes... Does he make any mentions of potential comparisons? I don't know why I said comparisons weirdly like that. I said comparisons. Oh, okay. If we th- This is quoting from Edwards' piece. If we think the bat is likely to play average with good on-base skills, not that many strikeouts, maybe decent power, good base running, and an average to above-average defensive in center field, that sounds a lot like Jason Hayward and Brett Gardner over the last few years. So that's interesting, too, and we love a uh, – um, a- comparison that doesn't have to lean on um you know asian player to asian player um now i think those you know there's talk of like you don't always have to compare a black player to a black player white to white and i I totally agree with that i think with asian players if if they play a style that is is more uh found in 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 the asian leagues whether it's like the hitch in their windup Uh, for pitchers or or uh, some of the batting stances and kind of like that that slap hitting running out of the uh, box when you're hitting it not that we don't have american players who do that but if there if there's more traditionally asian uh league uh comps that way i think that makes more sense but i do like when when people are not afraid of just like you know thinking a little bit further and not having to just do the lazier comps which i craig major credit here for saying hayward and brett gardner so that gives you an idea what we're looking at here Akiyama's is a nice move now i think it has some folks worried about senzel let me uh go ahead and grab a drink here give the normal disclaimer that i always do if you listen solo you're gonna get it all I i don't edit those out i take the drinks and uh and the different pauses here and there but uh Gives a more real feel i don't know maybe it doesn't maybe you guys are annoyed as hell by it but uh probably more annoyed that i address it every time anyway i think folks are currently worried well what's that do for senzel what this tells me a little bit two things they're not so set on their outfield as is well it's not two things it's it's actually an individual thing about each outfielder that they had you look at the outfield that they had coming in before akiyama Jesse Winker in left, Nick Senzel in center, Aristides Aquino in right. You can paint a picture where that kicks ass. And Winker stays healthy, goes off. Senzel stays healthy, is a fantasy god and just a really good player in real life. And then Aquino plays more like the first part of his season than the second part. And he pops 35 homers and bada bing bada boom they're all super fun out there in the outfield however a lot of ifs there the fact of the matter is that the the truth of it with regards to their outfield is jesse winker has a disastrous health profile and i believe he ended last season injured do i have that right let me take a look really quickly yeah cervical strain on august 22nd ended his season after uh back injury the, the same thing uh, was hurting him throughout all of august before that and then finally in, in late august they said know what we're going to deal with this season's over he had a quad in- issue that was only a day-to-day thing back in uh, early may as well and then just in general winker has let me see let me see how many dl stints jesse winker has so far as a big leaguer one, two, three. So three, two of which have been much longer than 10 days, though. And that's a problem. He he cannot be relied upon to stay healthy at this point. 47, 89, and 113 games in his three major league seasons. So Winker's an issue off the rip. Senzel had labrum surgery to end his season. Um, I think he finished. I'm looking right now like he finished the season but then had it right after let me check that right shoulder injury out for season no no he missed september he was done on nine eight and then his season was over and we don't know for sure that he's going to be ready to go right off the top and he too has, has had a host of injury issues coming up through the minors this was the year he debuted so they've all been in the minors but he you know he's got like Look, he had uh, sixty-eight games in twenty sixteen. That was after he was drafted, though, so I don't think that that was injury. Then one nineteen, then forty-four, and then this year uh, he was injured with the with the labrum. So I think that they're saying we don't know. We don't know what we're gonna get out of Senzel. We need a, we need an insurance plan. And coming in before Akiyama, they didn't have one. Their insurance plan was literally freaking Michael Michael Lorenzen. Or you stretch out Van Meter or Irvin in center, which is tough. Neither of them can really hang out there. And then with Aquino, I mentioned that he was—he was the tail of two seasons within his 56 games played. He couldn't have been hotter for a, a pretty lengthy stretch, where in his first 32 games—and I'm just arbitrarily cutting it off at uh, you know his first 15 homers there—he had a 313, 379, 750. Good. That's an 1129 OPS with 15 homers in 124 plate appearances. Then, from September 3rd through the end of the year, whoo, Tailspin City really came back to the pack, hit just four homers the rest of the way with a what, he's the 1,100 OPS guy. I don't think he's the 600 OPS guy. I really do think this is a case where you kind of look at the composite and you start to find something there. 259, 316, 561 with 19 homers for Aquino, and I think that that, uh, that kind of works. Extrapolate that over 60, 600 plate appearances, that's 50 homers. I don't think we're going to get 50 homers. I think that you would bring down the slug a little bit, maybe up the OBP some to get a similar you know, high 800s OPS. I would put him more in the – if I was giving him a projection, um, I'm going to project Aquino – for 35 homers. That's that's what I'm going to put down for him, And then hope. You know. Hope to beat that. And understand that I'm buying a, a profile. That could pop 40 plus. But then I should not expect that. Oh Shar's joining me. What's up Shar? She's crawled up my leg. I'm trying to get in my lap here. What's up? Do you want to say happy new year to everybody? Oh you can't talk? Oh because you're a dog. Oh okay stupid bit. I'm dumb. I'm very dumb. Anyway, so now with Akiyama, they have somebody who can play center field. Um, does this mean Senzel comes back onto the infield? Could he play shortstop? I mean, you were taking an outfielder, you're taking a third, excuse me, not, not an outfielder, you're taking a third baseman and putting him into center field, a tough position, but now you'd be taking, you bring bring. Bringing him back onto the dirt, but putting him at short, where he's only played literally one game. So I don't know, because there's not a lot of flexibility. Otherwise, you already got Moose for second, and you know put him back to third as his original his original position. You got Suarez there, put Suarez to first. You got Vado there. Can't do it. So they're kind of locked. It's like shortstop or bust. Or else, you know, Senzel's not, not a full timer right now. I think that's I think that's what we're looking at. Or maybe rehab from the um, from the labrum surgery is is going a little worse than expected. And so then when he comes back he might bounce around a bit. And you know, Akiyama and Moose are both lefties, Senzel a righty, so you could see him, you know. Definitely being on the short side of the platoon primarily and then mixing in against righties. Although I don't think they bring Moose in on the biggest contract that they've ever signed to have him be uh, platooned. I don't see it. In fact, and I'm going to look this up. I'm just guessing before I even look it up, though. I'm pretty sure that he's been pretty capable against lefties the last couple of years, though. Let me check on Moose. Alright, for his career, he's at a 719 OPS, which lefty lefty is not that bad. And then last year it was 876. 763 the year before that. So, you know, it's bounced around a little bit, but even the, the worst of that, the 721, I think they're gonna play him. You know? So Moose that like Moose and second base, that's that's not that's not the avenue for Senzel. I would I would temper my Senzel expectations a bit. I was already a little I was already getting a little cold feet with the labrum surgery. I like Senzel. I like power speed combos. I, I want I want to have some shares, but I need to see the price drop a little bit more. It's one eighty three right now, which is not expensive, but I think I need to see it go a little bit further down if I'm going to keep buying. Uh, I think that's where I'm at right now with uh, with Nick Senzel. Now, if Jesse Winker gets hurt again, then, of course, Senzel to left, easy. Fikino is more his second part of the season than his first part. He starts to lose playing time. Senzel to right, easy. Or Winker, whatever. But as it stands right now going in, Senzel's on the outside looking in. All right, so that's Cincinnati. Next up is Cole Calhoun going to Arizona. Yet another team. I I think Cincy... Uh, the White Sox and Arizona are all kind of in the same boat of like, hey, we're doing things here because we we plan on, on being a good team. Now, they have the Dodgers to compete with. The two central divisions are much more winnable on their face. Uh, the Twins are still going to be good. I think despite their best efforts to ruin their team, the Cleveland Indians are still going to be competitive, unless, of course, they trade Lindor and Clevenger as well, but I don't know. Um but yeah, the Dodgers are a big hurdle. That said, you don't just roll over and say, "Well, we can't beat them, so we might as well not try." That's some loser shit. And I think people actually say stuff like, like "Well, why, you know, they're not going to beat the Dodgers." Well, you know, not with an attitude like that, you're not. And no, they they're they're probably not, I'm not projecting them to do so. A, you have to try, and B, you still have to be good enough to get a wild card. They won 85 games last year, and that put them on the outside looking in for the playoffs via the wild card. So even that wasn't good enough. 89 wins by the Brewers took the second wild card. So they needed to improve anyway, even if they're only, quote-unquote, only looking for a wild card. So they bring in Cole Calhoun, who... Now, if you didn't have him on your team... And you're not aware. We'll just play a little guessing game here that you guys get to guess privately while you're uh, while you're driving around. I'll just I'm gonna trust that you're not cheating. How many home runs did Cole Calhoun hit last year? Give you a second. Five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Of course, he hit 33. Who didn't guess that? <laughs> After 18, 19, and 19. He blasts 33 homers last year, Cole Calhoun did. I mean, it was, I mean, he took full advantage of, of the ball and, and, and the environment and all that. And, uh, you know, he popped a, a sneaky 33 homers. And, he, and it wasn't just, you know, leaning on that right field wall in L.A., which has been lowered. He only had 16 at home, so 17 on the road. He's actually much better on the road, 826 to 757 as far as OB, OPSs go. OBP. Those would be really good OBPs. Uh, you know he had a 108 wrc plus. He wasn't great, but he was solid. You take 33 homers all day, 92 runs, only 74 ribbies. Uh chipped in four steals. He's always been like a chip in steal. You know, you just get a you just get a few. Nothing nothing worthy of uh really diving in. Um but he's going to go home. And uh, he went to Arizona State. Born in, born and raised in Arizona, so he's headed home, and he should be, he should be their primary right fielder, and I'm not even sure that he's necessarily going to get platooned. Maybe, maybe like a Tim Lacastro or uh, Ildemar Vargas, maybe takes a few plate appearances here and there, but for the most part, I think he's going to be a set it and forget it kind of guy. Defense has always been, you know, solid to great makes a lot of flashy plays i think his actual i'm looking right now is his actual defensive numbers don't really jump off the page as far as like his his composite is not uh is not huge but like i said it, you know what 10 times a year he's making some excellent highlight play maybe even more i don't know what's what's the average highlight plays in a year for somebody his outs above average via Statcast was zero so you know it's a solid average Acuna's was minus one, so Trout's was minus two. Yelich minus three. And that can vacillate year to year. It doesn't mean that you're locked and loaded as what you are. Let me see what he's been in previous years for, for Calhoun. The bottom line, though, is he can hang in right field. You're not putting yourself at a great disadvantage to have Cole Calhoun's defense in right. So I think the question then is, what are we getting... Uh, defensively or excuse me what what are we getting offensively by the way last four the four years that outs above average have been tallied going back from 19 to 16 zero to minus five minus six so he's actually getting better um he dipped from 18 to 19 from two to zero but that, that was after minus six and minus five so what are we going to get offensively though if the ball doesn't stay the same You'd have to think that the power is going to come down. The 236 ISO, far and away a career high. This guy, you know, Cole Calhoun, 179, 178, 167, 167, 148, 161, constantly living in that, uh, you know, 160 to 175 range of ISO. ISO is just slugging minus average. It just gets to the heart of your extra base hits. 200 is really good, or 200 solid, and then anything over like two and a quarter is really good. So it's 236. That was damn good. Um, You know, maybe he sold out a little bit more with the career-high 26% strikeout, but he also walked 11%. So I think let's project the ball to be a little bit more neutral. Let's give him like a – I like actually Steamer. I'm going to go right with what they have. 243, 332, 441 with 24 homers, a very nice 69 RBIs, 75 runs, and then the same five chip-in steals. He'll be in the middle bottom of the lineup. So five six range, I would imagine. We currently have him penciled in as the five spot. And that lineup can run deep. If Jake Lamb can return to what he was, then that lineup really starts to run deep with Marte, Peralta, Escobar, Walker, Calhoun, Nick Ahmed, Lamb, and Carson Kelly. That's a good one through eight. It's really solid. Marte's really the only, you know, star power there, although Eduardo Escobar was damn good last year um but for the most part it's just you know quality above average to average to above average you know fourth fifth outfielder type you know what you're getting no surprises here nothing to worry worry about goes off a pick 350 not being overcharged for the 33 homers from last year i'm cool with it moving on Cesar Hernandez signs with Cleveland. This is one I actually kind of uh, predicted slash saw as a, as a real reasonable fit for them. They needed something at second base. They had Mike Freeman penciled in. That wasn't going to work. Cesar Hernandez is going to join the squad, and I think that's a good move there. Don't trade Francisco Lindor, and they can still be very competitive in that central even after giving away uh, Corey Kluber. Because you know it's not like Kluber was any good last year. And they won ninety three games essentially without him. So, you know, even though I don't think that they got what they what they should have for Kluber, or, or I'll say what they what I think he was worth because you can't really say that there was more available. I, I hate when we do that as fans. Like, oh, they could have definitely gotten more. Oh, you think they just called one team and took the that offer and just said, "Eh, we're not going to do anything else." I'm sure there's instances of that, <clears throat> Dave Stewart, but you know. Let's give these guys some credit about what they can get and what's available where. But anyway, Cesar Hernandez is going to join, play second base, switch hitter. He's fallen down a little bit after, after two solid years in 16 and 17 at 107 and 111 WRC pluses respectively. He's at 99 and 92 the last two years. Basically, he's still you know, a solid average guy though. What really tumbled last year that killed his value and pushed him down to that 92 though was the fact that he stopped walking for some reason we're talking about a guy who's consistently taken walks at a really solid clip nine 11 11 13 in in the four years uh from 15 to 18 but then last year seven so i don't know what happened there i don't i don't know was it something where teams were chess you don't have enough punch we're just gonna we're just gonna fill the zone and see what you can do i'm Or maybe it was that paired with him also making the change to say, fine, then I'm going to swing at all these strikes. Because his average actually did go up from 253 to 279, and his strikeout rate went from 22 to 15%. So maybe it was just a a mixture of things there for Cesar Hernandez. I'd love, obviously, not not, uh, breaking any ground with this statement here, but I'd love to see a scenario where he could keep some of these strikeout rate gains and get his strikeout rate or his walk rate back in check. If he could be a 16 to 17 percent strikeout guy, and you know a nine to 11 percent walk, that could deliver some really interesting results. Where the OBP is back in the 370s, he was 371 and 373 for two years with Philadelphia in 16 and 17, 356 and 18, and even last year's 333 is not horrible, but it's definitely you know far cry from what he was in those previous three seasons. If he can be an OBP guy even batting 6th in that lineup so he's going to miss the the studs being able to drive him in but I do wonder let's let's say there's a scenario where Cesar Hernandez can kind of get back to 1617 where he's hitting 290 something with a 370 something OBP I wonder if they would move him into the 2 spot in between Lindor and Santana especially because then they would start with four switch hitters Lindor Hernandez Santana Ramirez then Mercado can bat. Well, I guess I still like Fran at five. Then Mercado, six. I love Mercado. So while I think this would take improvement by Cesar Hernandez, it would also take uh, some fall off by Mercado. That said, he only had a 318 OBP. So maybe he is more fit for six. And Hernandez would be a good number two. Then I'd really like him as a runs asset. Second base is not very good. And if you plan to wait on it, you're getting Cesar Hernandez around pick two ninety, that's not a bad gamble at all. So let's watch how this develops. Right now, we've got him penciled in as six. If we hear Cleveland suggest that they might let him bat second, that could be really nice. If he squinched in between Lindor and Santana, and then Ramirez at the four, that's run scoring for days. Even if he, you know, only ups it a little bit from the last year's three thirty three, and you know gets up to like three forty seven or something. But if he could if Cesar Hernandez could get back into the 370s, he'd be a, a run scoring machine with quality batting average. He's a stolen base threat. He's really more of the the high teens, 19, 17, 15, 19 and then just 9 last year. But if he's batting 2 and they're let they'd be letting him run, I think. There's some there's some intrigue here with Cesar Hernandez. Solid move. Finally the Indians do something well this this offseason. Um and we'll see. You know, the Lindor rumors pers- persist. If Lindor is indeed traded, maybe that opens up the door for Hernandez to move in the top part of the lineup anyway. Now, it wouldn't be as good of a top part obviously, but uh we'll see. Right now, it's it's up in the air. I wouldn't be afraid to put Hernandez in on that pick 290 or later range and uh like I said, slot him either as a 2B that I wait for forever or a middle um that I pick up that I pick up late as well. All right, next up, the Twins have been active. Now, they were talking a bit to some of the higher end talent in in the pitching pool, and it didn't really come through. I don't think they were really in on like Garrett Cole or anything. But I feel like they were rumored a bit with Bumgarner and uh, I think even Ryu. So, they clearly want to address pitching. They had a fantastic year this past season. They locked in some pitching right off the top when Jake Rizzi accepted the qualifying offer. So while that is not an addition over um, over 2019 because he was already on the team, it is still an off-season move because he was slated to leave otherwise. So they did that, and then they added back two years of Michael Pineda, and he'll finish uh, he'll finish the suspension, a PED suspension that. I think it's going to be like 40 45 games. So we're going to say at least mid-May before he can come back. But then they doubled up with a pair of signings on Homer Bailey and Rich Hill. So and we know Rich Hill by the way is also hurt and going to miss some time early. Weird weird that he's hurt. I know, bizarre. Your 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 mind is uh, exploding at the idea that Rich Hill got hurt. But this is kind of interesting. Because now they're going to come into the season with Barrios, Odorizzi, Bailey, and then like two of Randy Dobneck, Devin Smeltzer, and Bruce Dar Gratterall. Like the two of those three, I think, will come in. Maybe Luis Thorpe uh, makes the end. That's not that important to start the season, how the back end looks. But then they're making like two additions in season that are already planned. Uh, Rich Hill returning from the elbow surgery and Pineda returning from the suspension. Obviously, Pineda's the better bet because he's just coming off a of suspension, whereas Rich Hill uh, is dealing with injury. But I kind of like how they're setting this up right now, and they're really attacking pitching via depth. And they still have some front liners with Barrios and Odorizzi. They figured out with Odorizzi, he doesn't go more than, than six max, and those are on his best days, but primarily like a five-inning guy, five guy two times through, and he's a freaking beast when he does it. Meanwhile i like the homer bailey move now i'm a homer bailey uh sucker for for years loved him as he was coming up with the reds when he finally broke out and started to do some things back in 2012 it was after you know five years of major league experience so they weren't full seasons uh, a lot of times because of his performance but you know it was a long wait and at age 26 he put up 208 innings of a 368 then 209 innings of a 349 and it's like here we go it's gonna be a nice uh back end. then the injuries took over and bailey was actually you know pretty substantial bust on the deal that that cincinnati signed him to and uh yeah after 09 his remainder with the reds and not 09 what, why did i say 09 he did pitch in 09 but no i i'm an idiot um oh oh I was thinking oh nine, the two hundred and nine zero nine. Uh after that two hundred and in, eight two hundred and nine innings season, he was good for hundred and forty six innings the following year, three seventy one ERA. Then from that point on, he had four seasons with a six twenty five ERA and a one hundred sixty eight whip in just two hundred and thirty one and two thirds innings. That's four seasons of work. So that tells you what injuries were doing the to, to the late 20s and early 30s of Bailey's career. So then he latches on with KC last year. And I believe he started, let me let me look at the game log. Yeah, he started off pretty well with 3 of his first 4 looking really good, but the one that wasn't good was really bad. It was seven earned in 5 innings with 3 homers. So it was really kind of um f- you know, pumping up his numbers. He still had a 4.38 ERA uh 430 era so it's like okay do you really want to go pick him up i remember tweeting something out about how the splitter was back and he was looking pretty decent you might consider him for a pickup then he promptly went out and gave up eight earned in seven innings and i was like cool glad i picked him up and i want to say let me look at the calendar i want to say that that was a two-start week Hang on, let me see. Got to go back to April. Yeah, because T- and this was after a start in New York. He pitched really well. Um, six innings, one run, six strikeouts. It's like, okay, let's pick him up. Now, okay, it wasn't a two-start week, but it was two starts at Tampa Bay and against the Angels. I'm like, okay, you know, I tweeted out something about the splitter. Like I said, maybe you can go pick him up if you want. And it was a disaster. Uh, like I said, seven innings of a, of eight earned runs. No good. But then two more good starts. Sucker me right back in again. Busts up on Detroit in Detroit. Does well against Philly at home. Then Texas and St. Louis smash him. Ten earned in six innings. I'm like, oh my God, you're going to be... At that point, I think I swore off. I was like, forget it, dude. Freaking forget it. Well... I can only swear off for so long because then his final eight starts with uh KC. Homer Bailey had a 335 ERA in 43 innings with 37 strikeouts. He gets traded to Oakland, and I'm like, hmm. I don't want to say I blindly trust Oakland, but I often, you know, give credence to the moves that they make. And if they they like somebody that I'm also interested in, I'm like, hmm, this feels validating and if they like somebody that i haven't really thought about i'm like let me take a look so they so they trade for him first start against seattle great next start at houston was awful but you really wouldn't use him for that anyway so i'll count it I'll, i'll mention it nine earned at in two innings at houston but for a guy like bailey you shouldn't have been starting him anyway then six and two thirds three earned against texas Six innings, two earned against Milwaukee. Then another one that was maybe iffy. Maybe you started him at the Cubs on August 7th for seven earned and four and two thirds. But I don't know that it's a guarantee. Bottom line is we were looking at his first five starts with Texas or with uh, Oakland, excuse me, eight seventeen ERA. But if you look, if you dug deeper, it's like two god-awful starts, one of which you definitely wouldn't have been starting him for. The other maybe you did. But if you just take off those two innings and nine earned. Then you're looking at, uh, let's see, what would that be? That would have been that. And 23 and a third. It would have been a much more palatable 541 ERA. I'm not slam dunking about a 541 ERA. But if you put the Houston one aside, it's three good starts and one bad one that you took. You don't let one bad start that in that inflates an ERA make your decision. So you might have still been in on the on the Bailey train even after the start at the White Sox, and if you were, he closed brilliantly. Forty-eight innings of a two twenty-five ERA with forty-eight strikeouts and a sub-one WHIP. Uh, it was basically like a .96, I think. Yeah, .96. ninety-six. Forty-seven base runners in the forty-eight innings. He was fantastic down the stretch for them. He won four of the uh, of his five decisions, and he went um he had let's see strikeouts of seven eight three was bad nine three four eleven three so he's kind of bounced around That, that was the one problem but he ended up with 48 in the 48 innings for homer bailey so that's the trajectory of his 2019 i know it kind of took you all over the map with his uneven game log he can be infuriating at times but i do think there's some avoidable starts there it's not like he was getting trashed by detroit now, I will say, if you play that game, you have to also say that the at-New-York start you would take out because you weren't going to start him there either. You'd have been scared of uh, of that. And, and you have to be fair on both ends of it. In fact, he had another start at-New-York down the stretch where he allowed two earned in five and two-thirds with nine strikeouts on August 31st, right? So, it's a give and take. I do wonder, though, at that point, with three great starts in a row, if you had said, and, and five out of six, if you'd been like, well, frick it, I'm gonna go ahead and take a shot against the Yankees. But I don't know. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to just try to make it uh, much better for myself when I'm when I'm pumping up the guy. But I'm a big fan. I, I can't quit him. I'm not gonna quit him with the Twins. I think it's a solid move. He's gonna be a mid rotation guy. I think my projection would be 160 innings of a 4 ERA. Now, he had a 4.57 this past year and Steamer's given him a 5.02. I get it. I do. I don't think that's completely out of, even with Oakland. He was only at 4.30. So how am I down at 4? One thing is I think that uh, I just mentioned it with Odorizzi. This is a team that isn't afraid to not push guys and and keep them limit them from from major exposure and understand when they don't have it and take them out so obviously if you get pummeled in the first two innings and give up seven earned like you did at houston it doesn't matter because they didn't get they didn't get to take you out before the shellacking but i think if they curate him well enough plus to sub four era here there's some sub four era upside with him now i will say he doesn't have the same third time through issues as Jake Odorizzi. So it's not as cut and dried as five innings and out. What I do like, though, like I said, is that when they when a guy doesn't have it, they don't really push. They jump into the pen. They understand, hey, not everyone has five, six innings every single time out. So I think Bailey can succeed with Minnesota. I like this move. As far as Rich Hill goes, the bottom line is Rich Hill's good whenever he pitches. Plain and simple. And I don't mean every start. I mean, when you look at the composite, he hasn't had... He hasn't had a bad year since 2013. Right? Since his like ascension into high quality, his you know, finding advanced analytics and becoming a force, he's been really freaking good. And he can have that those up and down start, like some of those starts can kill you, but then he'll reel off four straight gems to make up for it. He's just one of those guys you have to have a lot of trust with somebody like rich hill though if you're not somebody with a with a tough stomach for fantasy you can't roster rich hill he's going to be 40 um he's always hurt he'll have a few blow-ups every year that make you think you have to cut him and never roster him again and yet when we look at it all from 2014 to 2019 he has 471 and two-thirds innings of a 292 era and 107 whip with 562 strikeouts in that time nearly 11 strikeouts per nine and his home run rate is going up a bit 1.2 1.4 1.5 the last three years but when you don't put anybody on and you strike out the world those homers aren't as aren't as impactful i don't think he's gonna put up a 245 era again like he did last year in 59 innings but i think a mid threes with like a, a high teens whip, a one eighteen one nineteen 119 whip, I think that works. So I think at this point, though, with all these good years that Rich Hill's had, he's become a bit of a fantasy hot potato. Nobody wants to be left holding that. It's like, okay, we I, 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 I use him at age 37 and it worked. I, I had him at age 39 and it worked. And even last year at age 30, uh, I said 39. I'm going to say 38. And then age 39, I only got 58 and two-thirds innings, but it worked. I think people are going to be wanting to jump off, and that's why his price is at 390 And I don't even think having an official job, having an official team, is really going to change it. So if you want to speculate and you can wait, feel free. For me, I'll put a little star next to him. I'll be looking to acquire him off the wire in leagues late uh, or right around the time he's going to be set to return. I don't want to draft an injured 40-year-old right off the rip, though. All right. Last two moves here are both New York-based, and uh, neither is super fantasy relevant. Uh, Dylan Batances finally lands, and he stays in New York but goes over to the Mets. I say it's not super fantasy relevant because of two things. One, first off, he's coming off of injury, so it's not like he's coming in as peak Dylan Batances ready to take a role. If he's healthy, he should be good again, but it's a one-year get-right deal. And despite the troubles that he had last year, Edwin Diaz, I believe they're going to give him the role. And frankly, I believe they should. I, I don't think he was bad enough that uh, for us to think that, hey, he totally lost it. It's over. So I would say expect him to have the job. And Batances is not even the backup guy. I think Lugo is. In the leagues where Batances has been useful as a you know, high volume middle reliever because of his strikeouts continue to draft him as such. You won't have to pay a premium at all. Uh, I think his price will go up now that he's landed somewhere, but it's not going to skyrocket. He was at four fifteen right now. Dylan Batances is that could go up a hundred picks and he's still dirt cheap. The other one, the other new move is about the Yankees. And we finally learned exactly what uh, Domingo Herman's facing and it's going to be an 81 game suspension. So he got half a season uh, for a domestic violence situation That happened last year he was placed on administrative leave on the 19th of september which ended his season and now we have a resolution here and he will have a half season and frankly you know oh hang on let me see okay this is pardon me this is retroactive so the games count so it's gonna be the first 63 games of 2020 so he's gonna miss the first two plus months he'll be back sometime in june and you know i don't i don't know all the details of it right He's not appealing this. I don't really have any use for for, you know, domestic abusers. I'm glad he's getting suspended. I'm glad that, you know, they're showing some sort of teeth here and actually coming down with something instead of um, you know, letting too many of these guys get off relatively scot-free on this sort of stuff. So, I know each case is, is individual and I don't want to speak too too deeply on Domingo Hermann's case because, again, I don't know the details. And I'm not just trying to, like, have fake outrage over it. It doesn't take much to be against domestic abusers. Like, I don't think I'm special for saying that they fucking suck. Um, you know, th- there's not a whole lot else to say here. He needs to have a suspension. I'm glad that he is. And uh, hopefully he understands the, the gravity of what he's done here and i'd like to see him you know get better like you know you want to see people improve from the the shittiest things that they do and committing acts of domestic abuse is one of the the most awful things you can possibly do and so i don't know what the the path to um bettering himself exactly entails but you know for me, it's a situation where I understand that, uh, with sports and, and with us knowing everything these days, we learn about when these guys do stuff like that. And I, it's not, it's not pleasant. It doesn't matter though. It's the real world. So, you know, I don't think there's a, a higher instance of them now. It's just that we know it's just that we know. And does it make it sometimes difficult to like root? Sure. But, you know what's more difficult? Being fucking domestically abused. So I don't really give a shit if if our experience as fans is is more compromised or harder uh, because of it, right? You can root for your team. You don't have to do backflips when uh, when the worst of the worst uh, do positive things, right? That, that's that's what I'll say. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I've never uh, rostered somebody on a fantasy league who's who's been a, a bag of garbage. And I can't pretend that I'll ne- I'll never do it. Like I, I've I've had I've had that internal debate before of like, well, do I you know do I roster him and um, or or you know am I just trying to win at all costs or do I want to ha- you know make a statement here and what is the statement and I I don't know I don't know the best answer. Obviously I'm rambling a bit here. It's it's a tricky situation, but again, what it does to us. Couldn't matter less. You just wish for the safety of of the people who have been victimized, and uh, hopefully understands what he's done, and works to make himself a better person. Because I, I'm I'm here for second chances, but not until I see something that actually suggests that a person has improved. So that's Domingo Herman. Don't draft him. He's going to miss sixty three games, and I'm not even saying again. I'm not even saying that to like take the stand it's just like it's easy to say don't draft him because of of what he did but also don't draft because he's gonna miss a bunch of time anyway sorry to end on such a crappy note um but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tap dance around it and not talk about these things you gotta talk about the tough stuff sometimes and it's the crappy end of sports and it's tough to deal with and blah 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 whatever as far as um you know, people say, I don't want to think about any of that. Nobody does, but we have to. Okay, we have to. And and, and this is what it is. So that's Domingo Armand. Actually, you know what? I think I can end on a more positive note here. And it's always difficult to transition from something so terrible as that into, um, you know, anything really. But I think, let me look. Did we cover the Julio Tehran move on the last show? Let me look at his player profile real quick and take a drink. No, we didn't. Okay, so we get to end on a high note, depending on how you feel about Julio Tehran. Julio Tehran's like my National League homer, Bailey. I guess Bailey was in the National League um, throughout throughout most of his career as well. But he's another, he's another, um, he's another Tehran, or excuse me, he's another Bailey for me. A guy I just can't quit, even in the face of, you know, persistent disappointment. Although I will say, nowhere near the disappointment of Bailey. Tehran has actually been pretty good virtually every year of his career since he first established himself in 2013 just by era it's 320 289 404 321 449 that's the bad one 394 381 and he eats innings for days i gotta say they wanted garrett cole right we all were kind of inking him in for that and it made a lot of sense back up the truck for him this is the kind of move that can really help them it didn't come through But let's not pretend that they've had a bad offseason. You can make a case that seven years of Anthony Rendon is a better move than nine years of a pitcher, even somebody as good as Garrett Cole, man. And so instead, they got a premium hitter to go with Trout um, to back him up as a one-two punch. And they've addressed the pitching other ways by getting Bundy and Tehran, and then obviously putting some projection on on the pitching that they already have. Now, Bundy and not they don't freaking come close to garrett cole i understand that and some folks were hoping that okay if they if they don't get uh cole then get get um uh, get rendon and Hunjin ryu and i was i was one such person who said that that's why i'm familiar with that uh with that idea that didn't work either and yes i just put chapstick on and did this with my lips for some reason i don't know why i did that why did i have to do that right now i don't know but i did but anyway, Teron, Heaney, Bundy, Canning, Patrick Sandoval, don't sleep on him. And, of course, Otani. We don't know. He's really up in the air right now. That's why I listed him as, as the last of that bunch there. He's going to be in there in some capacity. But if it's just a five of Teron, Heaney, Bundy, Canning, Sandoval, I think there's some real projection that you can put on that team to believe that that's not a terrible rotation. It You know, it lacks like an ace. It's a lot of, like, threes and fours. But Nick Nick Pollock's really turned me on to Patrick Sandoval. I was a big canning guy coming into last year. Dude, talk about guys I can't quit. Dylan Bundy stepped right up. He might even be ahead of uh, Bailey and Teron as far as that goes. And Heaney, we know that uh, when he stays healthy, he's good, but he just constantly runs into injuries. So I like it. It's a solid move, man. You got to fill the innings too, right? think we see a lot of things through the prism of fantasy and uh that leaves us judging moves harshly at times because they're not as like fantasy relevant you don't really see you know it's somebody who has like a 440 era so you're like i don't care about that and it's like okay but the team does because even if all they got and i put all in in quotes like if all they got was anything they got last year from anybody only one guy on the angels made it 100 innings and that was Trevor Cahill. So to be able to ink in Tehran for double the innings of, of most of their guys, 95-90 for Heaney and Canning, and then the 102 for Cahill. So essentially double that innings count, even on a 440 ERA, that means he's keeping them in most games. Again, 6-3 and three is a quality start. And that's a 450 ERA. It sounds bad because of fantasy, and we don't think of, of a 450 as being all that sexy but you're never out of a game if you're getting six and three. And so if he piles up a bunch of quality starts and, you know, limits the implosions, he should be able to beat a 450 ERA even. So I like Tehran, age 29, solid move. I think the Angels have had a damn good offseason, to be quite honest. Their backup plan might actually be better than their A plan with Rendon. Otani back, you know, I think Justin Upton is not done and then we'll see how that pitching develops. So I think that's going to wrap us up, though. We, we were able to end on a high note. Let me click trade rumors just to make sure that we don't have anything. It's just rumor stuff. This uh, The Dodgers may be getting somebody like Betts or Lindor is heating up, though. So we'll see how that goes. But anyway, appreciate y'all listening. Went for a long one here. It's been a while since the holidays, so hopefully you enjoy this. Uh, I'll be back next week. I, I really don't think uh, I'm just going to say – that we're not doing one tomorrow because i just covered all the news that we would cover anyway so back next week hopefully you had a good holiday and a happy new year and i'll talk to you later